This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, do me a favor right now, like and share it so that more people can be impacted by it. Maybe you're watching on YouTube at our YouTube channel, that's at Dominion Church SC, or maybe on our podcast experience. That's the way that I go back and listen to these messages. Anytime that uh, there's a word brought from any of our guests or anyone, I go back and listen to them, enjoy them. And that's the easiest way for me. And that's anywhere that podcasts are available, the Dominion Church podcast experience. So I just encourage you, take advantage of those. Take us with you. Take Dominion everywhere that you go. I want to give you just a little disclaimer on where we're going to be heading in this session. So we started a brand new series last week called The Gospels, and uh, the subtitle of it is The Message and Manifestation of Kingdom Culture. The Message and Manifestation of Kingdom Culture. And last Sunday, we did not get as far as I wanted to in the first session. So this is going to be The Gospels Session 1, Part B, (laughs) Session 1. Part B, and I'm going to do a five-minute recap. So start your stopwatches. A five-minute recap of last Sunday, but I urge you go and listen to last Sunday to give context for where we're going to be headed in this part. So what we covered last week is we talked about gospel, good news, and what we started looking at is first and foremost what the Western Church has produced as gospel. And and if you really want to get a fine point on it, for about the last 150 years or so, this is the gospel that has emerged. And we covered these points. Again, I got four minutes left in the recap right now. This is what the gospel looks like. Because of sin, we are separated from God. Through the work of the cross, we're saved from hell so we could change our destination to heaven. That's the high points, okay? That's the high points of the packaged westernized gospel. You could even say the American gospel, but it's not just it's not just confined to America. Our influence has taken a lot of this gospel to a lot of places around the world. And so we looked at the first three components of how that goes. And I got three minutes here. Y'all pray for me. So first we looked at the gospel of salvation with a question mark because Within scripture, we actually don't see a lot of what we call the gospel of salvation present or clear in scripture. And that's where we come up with this pattern. So because of sin, we looked at that. We looked at sin is often mistaken as behavioral issues. So if you do bad things, that is sin. And while there's a connection there, sin is ultimately the result of a mistaken identity. Right, And so if we can look at you deal with the identity of a person and then their conduct begins to line up with who they believe that they are. Right, So beloved sons, beloved daughters, um, instead of chasing after behavioral issues, we start speaking to heart issues. We start speaking to identity issues. That's the way to go. 
So again, in the westernized gospel, because of sin, sin did what? Separated us from God. What's problematic about that is we see no, we see no scriptural proof for that either. Uh, you know, in, in the garden, in Genesis, Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world. And what was God's response? He did not run from them. He ran to them. So if sin were a separating force between us and God, he should have started there. But he didn't. He ran to them. You know, uh, and so, again, I, I can't go into it all. You got to go back and watch the first session. Then we ended last Sunday on through the cross. And we just touched on that. Because the truth is, you could do a series on through the cross. Through the cross. The, the, the mystical work of the cross deals with much more than sin. Not sin only. It, deals with, it does deal with sin, but it deals with a lot more than sin. You know, one of the things that we looked at was, it's interesting, before Jesus went to the cross, he was forgiving people their sin. So if the cross was the only way he could forgive sin, how is he forgiving it before the cross? But on the other side of the cross, which is a huge mind blower, he invites us, he invites his disciples, those who follow the way, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. So it's like, man, it's a, it's a party now. Go and forgive, forgive people their sin. But also on the cross, we know that it's the end or the death blow, I guess you would say, to the old covenant. It took about 40 years for it to give up the ghost. It was the launch, the initiation of the better covenant. It was the birth of the church, which I was talking about when he was pierced in his side. He was pierced in his heart and blood and water began to flow from him. It's a picture of birth. Females, when they give birth, blood and water are a part of that equation. Men don't give birth the same way. We give birth from the heart, and that's what Jesus did. He birthed the church from his side because you never even hear the church mentioned until after the work of the cross. There's, there's too, much, too much to cover. The cross secured for us victorious life. Even his journey to the cross secured for us divine health. Amen? All, 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 the, all the, the torture he took to the cross was to secure the benefits package of the kingdom. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. But then reminding us the cross is not the sum total of kingdom life. It is the entry point. The entry point. Miles Monroe used to talk about the cross as like the doorway into your favorite store. When you go to your favorite store, you don't stop at the doorway and say, great doorway, love this doorway. I'm going to set up camp and never move from here. No, none of us would do that. It's, it's an invitation. Come into the fullness of what the Father has for us. Okay, so wow, that was five minutes. I'm proud of myself. Five-minute recap. So you got to go back because it's a 54-minute message. So you got to go back and listen to it. So a little unfortunate, this is where we start now with this part B. We talk about being saved from hell. I am not, I want to tell you this right now, I am not a hell preacher. Okay? First of all, I believe it's counterproductive. When we're supposed to be preaching Jesus, why would I waste my time and effort preaching on hell? I don't preach fear. I don't preach condemnation because I'm convinced it's not the gospel. And so I, I want to use my energy to preach good news. Now, that is not, the good news is not compromise. Okay? So hear what I'm saying. I'm not just saying, well, you just stick to the good stuff and ignore the bad. No, the good addresses the bad, but it addresses it from the right place. See, the Western gospel starts with sin, and that's where we start our good news. Okay, here's the good news. You're all sinful wretches, and, and that, that's not how you start good news. You start good news like you start John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's good news, and then let's move forward 
from there. But so in our progression, though, now we've got to talk about being saved from hell. If you have any questions, there is a complaint email for on our website that you can <laughs> uh, go and email it there. And I think it's checked every decade. So good, no, I'm, just, I'm just playing with you. So again, let's remind of the progression. Because of sin, we were separated from God through the work of the cross. We're saved from hell. That was going to be our destination, right? And then it changed our destination to heaven. So let's talk about hell. Are we ready? Yes. Okay, it's going to be fun. This is going to be the most fun you've ever had talking about hell, I promise you. Amen. Okay, so... I want to challenge you on this for those watching, for those here, for those streaming, whatever, whatever platform you hear this or when you hear this, you might hear this five years from now. When I make these statements, don't just discount them. Let me keep going. Don't pause me or turn me off. Okay, so let's start. Here we go. Save from hell. We have no record of Jesus or his disciples preaching hell in order for people to believe on God and repent. So that's a pretty straight statement. Now I challenge you, go, and sh if you've got evidence and proof, show me. I can't find it, okay? They never, so along with that, they never leveraged fear, never, to get people to come into the kingdom of God, ever. Jesus had plenty to say about judgment, so that's, that's a different, whole different conversation. He had plenty to say about judgment, but even these conversations weren't for the masses. So he didn't get up and preach about judgment in front of the multitudes. Usually when he preached up and started disagreeing, isn't that funny? For the masses, he didn't even talk about that. I mean, if you really want to get down to even the whole the born-again conversation, he only has that conversation one time with one person in the middle of the night in secret. Nicodemus, because he asked him a direct pointed question. What must a man do to be born again? And Jesus gives him the answer. And his mind goes to how will a grown man go back into his mother's womb? Still totally missing it. So isn't that interesting in the mainstream gospel, that is what we lead with, what we fly with, what we baptize with. And Jesus talked about it one time with one person. Why? Because he knew if I can show the benefits of the kingdom, people will come to me saying, how can I be a part of the kingdom? But because most of us don't know how to demonstrate the benefits then we, well, you just, you need to pray and be born again, or you need to do this so that you can get that because a lot of us don't, don't have the goods, so to speak. I, I say it this way. A lot of us don't have a life that people find attractive. And so I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm hitting myself here too. If we're not careful, we our our default is a message because we don't have a, a demonstration of a life that we want people to imitate. But Jesus is like, hey, just, just watch me. I imitate my life. And, and you'll, you'll love it. It's going to be amazing. And that's not supposed to be an isolated incident. One of the things Jesus did in his earthly ministry was he showed us how to live divinely human. He was all God, all man. And before you say, well, that was Jesus. Well, Jesus secured that for us through the work of the cross. That's the ministry of reconciliation and redemption is now you get the chance to live divinely human as well. 
Jesus living on the inside. Adam show, Jesus showed us what? How to live in the world of Adam, but refused to be Adamic. Are you okay? How about this? He wore the shoes of Adam, but refused to become him. He was tempted all things common to all men. So you can't, you can't pull the Jesus card and say, well, that was Jesus. Because Jesus is pulling this card and say, well, that should be you too. I gave you the pattern to follow of what it looks like to be divinely human. I'm way off track right now. I got to stay on track if we're going to make this 30-minute goal for this message. So saved from hell. Are we saved from hell? Yes, we are. Hallelujah. So what we have to do, we have to look at what Scripture addresses when it comes to hell. So the word hell, like a lot of the words we like to use, is actually not even anywhere in the Bible. It's more of a modern word. It's German in its origin. So that right there should give it away. The Bible, the bulk of the audience is Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. German is nowhere on the radar. That's where we get the word hell. The word hell actually means to cover. That's all it means. Did you know that? To cover. If you go up to New, New England, there are still roofing companies today that, that will offer to come and hell your roof. To, to cover your roof. It's, it's a German word. So it's funny how we kind of hijack that, and that's, that's our word now. So let's look at what Scripture talks about, words that are translated as hell. The first one is sheol. Sheol. This is the Hebrew word where we get a modern translation for hell, is sheol. But it's interesting, they had a lot to say about sheol. Sheol is the abode or the place of dead or departed spirits. This is not a place of eternal fire and torment, this is a place, according to the Hebrews, that all departed spirits went. Good, bad, even animals, like Fido, is going to be there. When you get there, you're going to be so blessed. Are you okay? Man, come on, we need a sense of humor to get through this. The literal meaning of the word sheol means to be hidden or unseen. The next word is Hades. Hades is the Greek word for Sheol, same place. The Hebrews called it Sheol, the Greek called it Hades. So now let's look at, there's a lot of verses, and I'm just going to have to throw these out. You can go back and watch this again, pause it, go back and listen. i got tons of references I'm going to share with you. And really, it's just so you understand I'm not making this up, okay? So in the Old Testament... The Hebrew word sheol refers to the grave or the abode of the dead. Psalm 88, verse 3 and verse 5. Through much of the Old Testament period, it was believed that everyone went to one place, whether human or animal. Psalm 49, 12 and verse 14 and verse 20. Whether righteous or wicked. Are we listening? Ecclesiastes 9, verses 2 and 3. No one could avoid Sheol. Psalm 49, verse 9, and Psalm 89, verse 48. Actually, I, I taught this uh, not too long ago, and someone wrote down every reference and got to their hotel room that night and went through every single reference. And they said, you know, I was disagreeing with you and you were teaching it, but then I went through and I was like, well, he was right. So I'm not trying to pull wool over anybody's eyes here, okay? And they thought Sheol was to be in the lower parts of the earth. Deuteronomy 32, verse 22. 1 Samuel 28, 11 through 15. Job 26, verse 5. Psalm 86, verse 13. Isaiah 7, 11 
Ezekiel 31, 14 through 16. Ezekiel 31, verse 18. God, there's so many verses on this, right? Unlike this world, Sheol is devoid of love, hate, envy, work, thought, knowledge, and wisdom. That's in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 6 and 10. And descriptions of Sheol are bleak. There is no light. We see that in Job 10, Job 17, Psalm 88. There is no remembrance. That's Psalm 6, Psalm 88, Ecclesiastes 9. No praise of God. That's in Psalm 6, Psalm 30, Psalm 88, Psalm 115, Isaiah 38. Verse after verse after verse. In fact, no sound at all. The, it's mute, right? Psalm 94, 17, Psalm 115, 17. Its inhabitants are weak, trembling shades. Job 26, 5, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10. Who can never hope to escape from its gates. Job 10, 21, Isaiah 38, 10. Sheol is like a ravenous beast that swallows the living without being sated. Ooh, it's going to get better. Proverbs 1, verse 12, Proverbs 27, 20, Isaiah 5, verse 14. And some thought the dead were cut off from God, while others believed that God's presence reached even to Sheol. That was one of the profound revelations that David had. If I make my bed, he, your translation may say in the depths, that word the depths is actually Sheol. So in his understanding of what we would call hell, if I make my bed there, and that the implication is if I voluntarily go there, if you make your bed somewhere, you mean to be there. You are there with me. Toward the end of the Old Testament, God revealed that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Isaiah 26, 19. Sheol would devour no longer, and instead God would swallow up death. That's Isaiah 25. Isaiah had all these profound messianic prophetic words that were going to go into the future, and it was identifying the work and ministry of Jesus. So what's some of the work and ministry of Jesus? He would conquer Sheol in such a way it would no longer devour. I love that. And through the work of the cross, he would swallow death up, swallow it up. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so that's Sheol and Hades. Go back, get all the references. The other word is Gehenna. Say Gehenna. Gehenna is interesting because right now you could buy a ticket and you can go visit it right now. It's, in, it's just outside of Jerusalem, outside of the city gates. It's a place historically where they dumped all their trash, all their garbage. And because you don't let it keep piling up, they light it on fire and it burns. And actually, depending on how much trash was going on, it burned a lot. And it's, it's interesting. So Jesus would talk about, he talked about Gehenna more than Sheol or Hades. And it's a geographical location. It's a place his audience knew. Well, that's where trash burns. And they start talking about, well, people are going to burn there too. And then you got to start looking at your eschatology at that point. Because you realize when Jerusalem is sacked in AD 70, the Roman armies come and, and close in that when they would kill people, they just throw them in the trash heap. And they'd burn. Can you imagine? And the birds would come. And it's, there are kids in here. I don't want to get too graphic, but you get the picture. It was hell. But nevertheless, you can go there today. Now, it doesn't look like that today. Now, it's a lush, green place. You can Google it. Google Gehenna. 
You'll, you'll be surprised at how beautiful it is. <laughs> Gehenna takes its name from a valley located in Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom. During Jesus' time on earth, this valley was used as a city dump. A fire was constantly kept alive there to burn up and consume all of the city's unwanted rubbish. So that's what I want to say about being saved from hell. So what happens when we start looking at what scripture addresses as hell? Sheol, Hades, Gehenna. Gehenna we have to take off the table altogether, right? Would you agree with me? So you can't say when you die, God's going to send you to Gehenna. Why would he do that? I can go there right now if I want to. Okay, so is he sending us to Sheol or Hades? Again, we're only right now looking at what the scripture talks into. Everything else is us taking a big guess. That's all I'm trying to, I want to submit to you. I'm not going to give you the answer that everyone wants because it's not actually the question we want to ask. It's not. But Sheol and Hades is a place that the audience of that day, they believed we all go there. And then they also, since they knew Isaiah well, they knew at some point God would totally defeat it in such a way that it no longer would have power and that he would swallow death itself up. So what does that do in the framework of Western gospel? It challenges this thought, and there are levels to it, but it challenges this thought. The hell that we have preached often as a place of eternal conscious torment is simply not backed up by scripture. So I would submit if it's not backed up, maybe we need to take that off the table. And that, that's, as, that's as far as I'm going to go on it. I mean, you, you, could, you could if you wanted to, and this is where you could preach yourself happy, is you realize that what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 26, Jesus accomplished when he descended into Sheol. That's what he was doing, right? He was, you know, our, our classic Easter weekend, probably wasn't quite this way, but dies on a Friday, descends, goes to Sheol on Saturday, and then comes back on Sunday. So what's he doing on silent Saturday, that's the question. What well, we're told that he begins to preach the gospel concerning what? Himself. And then it says, what did he do? He led captivity captive. Are y'all hearing me? So whoever was hanging out in this place, Jesus shows up and starts preaching the gospel. Wouldn't you love to have the notes to that sermon? Because it was so amazing that he grabbed those that were captive and brought them out with him. And then we're told he took the keys to death, Sheol, and the grave. So today, right now, Jesus holds the keys. And I don't see any scripture anyway, you guys help me out, where he opened any of it back up for business. <laughs> so, at the, I know I'm leaving more questions than answers, and part of that's intentional. Some of us have to get okay with mystery in our lives, okay? Some of us have to be okay with that. We got to start shifting our perspective from trying to provide the answers to just trying to get people to ask the right questions. If you get people to ask the right questions, you have more success. So I'm going to have to leave it at that. I want to submit there's just, there's some stuff about hell we got to take off the table because it's not scriptural and Jesus as our pattern didn't use it. We'll leave it there. And then finally, now we're going to end on the high note and see if we can get finished here in, in just a few minutes. 
The new destination is now heaven. So the destination shifted from, from hell to heaven. And so now, according to the Western gospel, now that you are saved and secure, you, lived out, you live out the remainder of your days, and when you die, you will now go to this place. And again, the place is, is off the map. And a lot of the stuff we say about the place, we're just taking guesses at it, because that's honestly the best we can do. But I would still submit to you it's wise to not try to guess if you don't have to. And so let's look at what heaven is. What is what does scripture support as heaven? Can we just say that? Let's finish up. Jesus did not preach heaven. At least not in its most classical sense. The Hebrew culture had no reference point for life after death. Remember, they believe when you die, that's it and you have no hope of escape. So for him to come along and say, well, oh, there's this whole amazing reality after death, they would not even have any reference point for that. The only thing they believed in, talk about bleak, was death after death. You die, that's it, and death is all that there's going to be ever. And that's what made death so mournful. When it happened, for, in their minds, this is totally the end. See, we don't, even have, we don't have that, do we? When someone passes, what do we say? We'll see you again. Right? Absent from the body, present with the Lord, face to face with the love of your soul. You know, if I live long enough to die, I'll meet you. We're going to have a party. They did not talk like that in the day of Jesus. Okay? It was a very horrible, mournful event. Nothing could make an afterlife existence sweet since there was no afterlife. <laughs> right? They weren't, they weren't dreaming up harps and, you know, clouds of Charmin because they didn't even believe there was anything after no family, no friends, no conversations, no food. Tim, sorry. No, no feast, no drink, no worship, no communion with God. And, and, and what's even worse, God would forget the person and the person would forget God. It's just it's terrible. So the most one could hope for was a good and particularly long life. I mean, just keep it as long as possible. We want, to be, we want to be here and we want to be now as long as possible. Jesus certainly changed this narrative during his earthly ministry when he began to demonstrate what life looks like in the kingdom of heaven. While death was final and certain in the minds of the Israelites, the work of Jesus completely destroyed the narrative. Can I give you some verses? 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start at verse 53 and read a few verses. And we're almost done. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that kind of talk that Paul is laying out, almost matter-of-factly, was so profound it boggles the mind. And actually, if you go in here and really look at this, we can challenge some of this in even how we think about it. Because usually, when we think of conquering death, the first thing that comes to mind is immortality. And that's not necessarily incorrect, but it's how we define immortality. Because we always think in terms of immortality when it comes to this. Right? The flesh. 
But you go back and read the context of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul wasn't talking about the flesh. He was talking about the eternal qualities that make us who we are. The spirit. Because remember their mindset. When we die, that's it. We forget God. He forgets us. And Paul says, oh, well, hold wait a second. This, this is going to take on immortality. What do we hear? That means I'm going to live forever. I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. He may have believed for that, and it's not wrong to believe. But he was talking about, listen, as soon as you draw your last breath, absent from the body, present with the Lord, present with he that conquered the grave, con there's no sting in death anymore. For us now, it's joy. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time ever? And all you believed was lights out. All you believed was, I'm, oh, life's over, I'm done. Nothing, nothing, nothing left. Paul's like, I've got good news for you. But then he goes on, and I love how he connects death, again, not with physical death, but he talks about sin of the law, the power of the law. Then he, listen, there's something worse than taking your last breath, and it's living your life based on the requirements of the law. That's something else. Man, Paul had an agenda against the law, and rightly so. Someone who kept it, he had every right to take, take an offense against it. I mean, he did. John 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die. Do you, we miss that a lot of times. Jesus never says, if you believe in me, you'll, you'll live forever. That's not what he says. He says, you believe in me, though you may die, yet shall you live. The living keeps going. We measure life based on the day of our birth and the day of our expiration. He measures life based on when you became a thought in his heart. And he continues to sustain. I know a lot of this right now, I'm speaking hypothetically because I haven't been there yet. Well, I don't remember that I've been there yet. <laughs> I came from him. I'm going to go back to him, right? So I don't know. This is what I do know, though, based on what Scripture points out. When I give up my last breath in the flesh, I inhale my next breath back into the realm of the Spirit, a place I have lived much longer than I lived in this life we call a vapor. Wow. Knowing full well, death has been defeated. The grave has no victory. I'm not going to go to a holding tank, a holding place. I'm going to be absent from this thing, present in a realm that will be more real than it's ever been. Right? So whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you see that? It sounds like this tension, this paradox. Well, you know, you believe in me and you might die, but you won't die. But if you believe, you'll never die. And it's like, well, which one is it? He's trying to show us it's not what you think. Life is greater than your human experience. Let me ask you this question if we really want to kind of bake our brains here for a minute, bake our noodles. Ephesians says we're seated in Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Does that change the moment you breathe your last breath? Or does that reality stay the same? If it stays the same, huh. So positionally, nothing has changed. 
except my experience in this has ended. But the richness of our experience continues because the bulk of our experience happens outside of this anyway. Are y'all hearing me right now? When, when you begin to pray, even though you're in a body, the experience is out of body. Come on, you ever been in praise and worship and it becomes an out-of-body experience? Where even though you're in the flesh, you're aware your spirit is having an experience that goes beyond the capability of your body. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the season my dad's in life right now. He has conversations with people that have been gone on a long time. And sometimes they'll catch himself and he said, I know they're gone, but I mean, it's okay for me to talk to them, right? I'm like, well, first, you don't need my permission. But who am I to say that you can't? The Bible just says don't, don't do necromancy, which means don't talk to the dead. It doesn't say anything about talking to the living. Are y'all okay right now? I, I'm meddling. This is, not, this is not notes right here. This is meddling right now. See, your loved one, they know the Lord. They're, they're, they're as alive as they've ever been. They could, they, could, they, could be in, they could have a burial plot now that's 20 years used, but they're alive as they've ever been. And, and if you start hearing the voice of your grandpa, what? What's going on? My dad's had conversation with Varner the last month. I'm like, well, must, I hope it's a good conversation. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying I think it's interesting we have confidence to paint a picture and we're so sure about it all until we open up the word and begin to see, wait, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. And maybe the good news that I think is good is not as good as it could be if I just knew what it actually was. <laughs> And then you find out it's even better. And it blows your mind over and over again. And then I got, I got to finish with this. Never mind that Jesus demonstrated what the kingdom looked like. He showed us you don't have to die to get there. You can live in heaven right now. He, he took any perception of distance and separation and brought it all into the moment. He said, no, no you can have it all now. Uh, of the many things that I'm intentionally guilty of, that's one of those things. I, I want you to not feel like you have to wait for heaven. I want you to have it now. I don't want you to feel like you gotta wait for a healing. You can have it now. You don't need to wait for victory. You don't need to, you can have it all right now. Why? Because Jesus demonstrated that reality for us. What did heaven look like when he encountered someone who was sick? They were healed. When he encountered someone who was hungry, this is practical, he fed them. I know some of us, see, we want to see amazing signs and wonders, and some of us just need to start by giving somebody a sandwich. Start by buying a pair of shoes for a kid in Nicaragua. And then, oh, now the miracles start to open up because you're starting to look like Jesus. You, you encounter someone who's possessed, lay hands on them, cast, cast it out, they're free. Oh, you encounter someone who's defeated in sin, forgive them their sin. Guys, this is all heaven. It's heaven. I feel like maybe some, we might be disappointed when we finally arrive to whatever that place is we call heaven and we realize Jesus just said, okay, now you can actually start living the life you could have been living. But you just, you just hung up on something. We'll figure it out. 
<laughs> so, so start living. What? Live what? The, this is the benefits of the kingdom. This is what it looks like. Amen. So, the la last week and today, we touched on the westernized gospel. And now, the remainder of this series, it's, it's going to be a while, so just hang with me. We're going to talk about the primary things the scriptures identify as gospel. As gospel. Next week, we're going to start with one of my favorite. They're all my favorites, but next week I have an intimate relationship with this one, the gospel of grace. The, the good news, the gospel has many facets. It's likened to a diamond. The diamond has many facets, and as light shines into each one, the, the expression of that light feeds into this brilliance. The gospel is not one thing or the other. It's multifaceted, and it brings us ultimately to an encounter with a person, and his name is Jesus. If your good news does not bring people to an encounter with Jesus... It's not good news. It can be encouraging news. It can be the gospel according to your experience. But it's not good. Because the true good news brings you to an encounter with Jesus. And that's what we're going to get into starting next week. So hold on. We're going to have a lot of fun as we continue in this. And again, this speaks into the message and manifestation of kingdom culture. One of the foundational building blocks of kingdom culture is it is moved by grace. And that's what we'll get into. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you that these words, that they're spirit and that they're life. I know there's some things we talk about that are challenging. A lot of them are gonna stir on some questions and that's okay. Holy Spirit, guide us in the questions, guide us in the answers. We know that we can trust you. Lord, help us in our journey and as we search out the gospel. This is not just about assimilating information. This is about a person. I mean, there's a lot at stake. I, I wanna represent you well. You gave us such a beautiful pattern to follow. And Lord, give us the grace. Give us the courage to stop disqualifying ourselves. You showed us what it's like to live divinely human and you did it successfully. That was not a one-off thing. That wasn't just God having a 33-year experiment and then back to being God as usual. No, what Jesus did in the flesh joined God and humanity together forever. Come on, right now, Jesus, right now, is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? He's fully God and fully man. And He can do it so you can do it. Wow. So we just thank you for all these things now. We decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Facebook, thanks for joining us. YouTube, our podcast experience. Like it and share it. Help us get the word out. And we'd love for you to come and be a part of one of our gatherings here at 4.30 on Sundays. Get the word out. Help us pack this place out. We'd love to have you. We'll minister to you. We'll bless you. But we need you to be here for that to happen. All right. We love you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you then.